Welcome to Get Up In The Cool, old time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is one of the first people I met at my first ever clifftop, melodic clawhammer banjoist Bertram Levy. We recorded this late in the week at the Keith McManus tent, so there's a lot of background noise, but I think it makes a nice bustling ambiance for our competing bum ditties. Oh, by the way, trigger warning, this episode is all banjo duets. <laughs> if you really like this episode, maybe today's the day you sign up to regularly support the show. There are some awesome prizes available to different levels of supporters like weekly bonus tracks and mp3 downloads. Just go to CameronDeWitt.com and click or tap the button that says Patreon or follow the link in this episode's description on your podcatching app. I'm really honored to have Bertram Levy on the show. He's a really big deal and he's a pretty inspiring guy to talk to. Even in his 70s, he's still a student at heart, trying to learn new things and push boundaries. He doesn't have to do that. He's already accomplished a lot. I think some people just have passion that ages well. Most people don't build fires that last, but Bertram's is just sort of smoldering. He gives off a great energy, and I think it comes through pretty well in our chat, and you can definitely hear it in the tunes. So let's get it started. Bertram Levy, everyone, enjoy. Thank you. 
the waterfall. Over the waterfall. Over the waterfall. <sighs> Bertram Levy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure, Ken. Uh, I want to. I wanted to say the story of how I met you is uh, you were talking with Steve Arkin, who I had met um, through the Banjo Camp North um, the year previous. This was uh, 2014, and uh, he introduced me to you. And at that time, I didn't know who you were, and you were, and you were very gracious, and you said, "Well, let's go play some tunes." That's like first thing you asked, which is was very flattering. Uh, and so we went back to Greg and Palmer. Laux's uh, tent, uh, who I happened to be staying with, and the moment they saw you, they they kind of went white and they went, oh, uh, can, "Can I get you anything?" <laughs> and uh, and uh, the whole time they were just sitting and listening. Then afterwards, they uh, Greg told me, Bertram Levy is responsible for the resurgence of you know uh, claw hammer banjo in in uh, in America. He's like one of the pioneers. This this is the highlight of my week that you brought him to our tent. I'm just tickled pink, and I was I had no idea, and Neither now did I know. I. <laughs> so I'm really happy to have you on the show. And uh, when I you know went home and told my wife that story, uh, you know she uh, that's like one of the one of my first clifftop experiences. That was my first year. Yeah. I didn't know anyone. I'm so happy to have met you. And yeah. So thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, it's a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. You have a story behind this this team? Well, um, you know, this is an interesting over the waterfall. It's, it's kind of every in everybody's repertoire. It's uh, was collected from Henry Reed, who was our mentor back in the '60s. You know, before in the '60s, old time music uh, was kind of really dying very severe, severely. In that time in the South, uh, before then, in every house there was a fiddle or a banjo underneath. The, bedroom bed mm -hmm. but that was kind of disappearing as the transfer uh, uh, stopped and so we were collecting thanks to Alan Jabor who I had been a bluegrass musician and he kind of uh, introduced myself and the Thompsons to uh, to this music and we became um, uh, the Hollow Rock String Band and this tune was uh, collected from Henry Reed and what's interesting about this tune is that it all but disappeared and came down to one person. One person only hmm. had this tune. Right. That was Henry Reed. And then it kind of exploded out again, so it's in everybody's repertoire. Yeah. So I think that that's really a fascinating process. Yeah. An endangered tune. <laughs> Saved endangered. from extinction. Well, there was a lot of endangered. It was all endangered at that time. Yeah. And it isn't anymore. And Over the Waterfall actually um, refers to an old English ballad in which the wife tries to poison the hus husband uh, he's blind and she's going to push him over the cliff and she uh, not poison but she's going to push him over the cliff so she tells him to stand by the cliff he's blind yeah and so uh, she said just stand there and she turned back and she started running to push him back and he stepped over the side <laughs> and she went over the waterfall <laughs> I, had, I did not know that story that's yeah gives yeah. it a new yeah dark twist. <laughs> so I, I, I learned a, my, a lot of my repertoire uh, from living in the Piedmont for the se decade of the 60s, yeah. but also from the playing of Henry Reed and, uh, and from some of his, um, his uh, people who learned from him, like Oscar Wright. Yeah. And Oscar, as a matter of fact, I, I always joke that uh, I learned from the write and read method. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, because I learned a lot of music from Oscar Wright. He was a banjo player, but a fiddle player, excellent fiddle player too, but his fiddle playing was constructed in a way that you could tell that he thought like a banjo player. Yeah. 
and I learned this tune, which he learned from Henry Reed, called "Over the, uh, called Ducks on a Pond," mm. and I learned it. And uh, at that time, 1969, I moved out to California, and I kind of was really. I, I really embraced that tune, and I kept, whenever I played it, I would think, I, I'm going to play this for Oscar Wright sometime. And so in 1970 or 71, I lose track of time, Cameron, really. Um, thank God. Let's um, see, that's a small margin, 70, <laughs> 71. Uh, I was back at Pipestem in West Virginia, and I saw, I saw Oscar Wright, so I took, a, took my banjo out and played Ducks on a Pond. Yeah. Well, he didn't say anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> It kind of killed the tune for me, and I kind of felt really bad, and uh, so I didn't play it again. And then two years later, I was at Pipe Stem again, and uh, I got out of my car, and all of a sudden he comes running across the parking lot. Get out that banjo, boy! Play me that ducks on a pond. Oh, <laughs> oh sweet, that's nice. And this is uh, in A modal, so uh, I think uh, I don't usually use a capo, but for this one, it's kind of has a special feel. You know, fiddle tunes, um, the fiddle tunes, um, the title usually describes what the music is about. Yes. It's like in classical music, you'll have a uh, uh, marcato molto or uh, antipasto or something, but in, in, <laughs> in, 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 in old time music, it's the title. Yes. And so this Ducks on a Pond has that very tranquil, has that, has that very tranquil feel, yeah. like duck, it's like ducks on a pond. Yeah. So the second part, it starts on the fiddle, you go quack, quack, quack. It's so, <laughs> so anyway, it's got this sense of repose, which I think sure. is really special. I'm gonna let you do that first pass, okay? Okay.
on the pond. Yeah, that does have a repose. It's peaceful. Totally, totally. I gotta hear a fiddle play though. Do the quacking. <laughs> well, if I had a fiddle, quack, I'd play. Quack, quack. I'd play it. It's <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, fiddle tunes are interesting. Um, I mean, a a fiddle tune is a little a little haiku, you know. Sure. And uh, and they have uh, their own personalities. Um, usually, they follow some predictable form, but. Uh, this particular tune, I just I learned this that route from Henry Reed, and uh, as a, a modal tune, uh, the route uh, it's not clear to me whether it was like the post office route sure, or the route sure. of a military uh, mm -hmm. battle. But uh, there was a contemporary of his named Bert Edwards, who uh, Kirk Sutphin played with for a while, and uh, and uh, so he introduced me to this. Really unusual version of the route, and I'd like to play it. It's kind of, I think of it as the closest thing to old timey bebop. Is yeah. For those who are not here right now, the humidity at Clifftop is uh, incredible. <laughs> and if you Perfect play banjo weather, <laughs> if you play with this uh, uh, hide skin head, it makes that everything just changes terribly. <laughs> Tommy Bebop. <laughs> right on. Well, it's really, yeah, it's creative stuff. 
Now you, um, for let's get nerdy about banjo for a minute. You play all of your, um, you play all of your, uh, all of your tunes at mostly out of just standard G, regardless I do. of the tuning. Regardless of the tuning. Of the key, yeah. Yes, I, uh, I mean I'm comfortable with the neck because I played bluegrass for, um, since I was a kid, and um, and then when I got introduced um, to old timey music. Um, I switched over and played all the tunings, and in fact, that the, the that recording, the recording that um, old gut feeling that's, I is still kind of a classic, and still continues to be yeah. actively sold. I, I tuned a lot of the, the things, but as I've gotten older and I've and I've kind of developed my own concepts of how the banjo, the role of the banjo. Yes, I felt like really having a building out of one one. Uh, tuning and and uh, having a strong sense of uh, chordal uh, integrity. Yes, has 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 driven me to just play everything out of G and yeah and uh, and it's really quite for the those of banjo nerds. It's you still have the bu that basic D lo low note. Yeah, certainly. For, um, and then uh, if you're playing in C, if there's a guitar player there, I'll leave it in that and won't worry about the low C note. If and if it's a uh, if there is a guitar player, not a guitar player, I'll tune it down and play it as a three-string instrument, leaving yes. the C drone. Yes. So that's the way. Cool. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to spend some time trying that out this week. I'll yeah. have lots of opportunities yeah, well too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sure reading music helps, which you yes. do, and also yes. just kind of thinking about it. As a matter of fact, I've been a, uh, and <clears throat> as a result of uh, this, I'm starting to have some very interesting creative approaches to the harmonic and melodic uh, part of this not only this instrument but the the idiom and uh, so I've been writing a fair amount of material um, and uh, this one piece that I, f I would like to do is um, actually I heard on uh, one of those Saturday morning um, uh, uh, Entertainment NPR shows. I think I think it was the uh, Moth Radio Hour. But I was oh, working yeah, yeah. in my shop, and I heard the story of this woman who had an abusive husband, and uh, uh, she took a vow of silence to uh, deal with it. Yeah. And um, she didn't say a word. So when he was dying, he asked for forgiveness, and uh, she couldn't because she took a vow of silence. So mm -hmm. he 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 died filled with his sins yeah. and I thought wow now there is a story as good as any murder ballad I could think yes, of so yes. I decided to write a murder ballad uh, uh, in that vein yes using yeah. a, so that I call this the battered bride so Garland hair, 
wedding day for the maiden fair. Promised him she'd be his wife. Promised God for all his life. In a fortnight, this poor bride met her husband's darker side. Rose red lips that once he kissed were now met with his drunken fist. Drag her back, each time with her worst attack. When at last she could take no more, a second vow to God she swore. Never again will a word be said until the day that he is dead. No matter how he bullies me, the greater will my resolve be. and battered twenty years. A vow of silence replaced the tears. Walk downtown amid their stairs. Not our business, no one cares. Not a whisper, not a word. A vow of silence no one heard. All things come to those that wait and that judge sits at the pearly gate. One day the bully got his bill, he drove his tractor on the hill. Halfway up he lost control, the tractor it began to roll. When the tractor came to rest, the mighty engine crushed his chest. In his deathbed he was laid, the priest was called Confession Ray. began last rites to give, ask that she this man forgive, absolve this man for it's too late, or he will meet a fiery fate, no words of comfort, the silence broke, to the priest she finally spoke, he made my life a living hell, and for that sin, there shall he dwell. face, eternal fire he must embrace, and as she gave this harsh decree, she knew at last that she was free, not a whisper, not a word, a vow of silence no one heard, all things come to those that wait, and the judge sits at the pearly gate. Whew, give me the chills, that's perfect. Yeah, there needs to be more, uh, more, more songs like that in, in this tradition from the perspective of the woman and well you know a murder ballad is a really a historical uh yes. marks a historical event yeah so i thought this hey this is as good as it comes certainly and i i love the um i love the the i thought originally when you, that it was literally a murder ballad and i like the the spin you took on it that it's like a it's even it's even worse than murder <laughs> you know is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> murder yeah. just ends at death oh yeah it's even colder yeah. yeah really i once did a, a kind of similar similar tune i i wrote um one about this um uh i think it was i think it was a creek indian there's a story um about uh this this native american who was he was um converted to Christianity and he took the, the the peace pacifism he used to be a war chief but he took the pacifism really seriously and that was like he he became a um, a peacemaker mm. and uh, uh, there's a story about um, his his father 
was was murdered by someone from a neighboring tribe and uh, so he he went to find the murderer and uh, and captured him and took him back to his camp and he the murderer thought he was going to be going to be executed and he, and he the 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 chief came to him with his uh, with his father's saddle uh, or not his saddle but his uh, his feathered you know vestments and all of his father's things and they said you killed my father you must be my father now um, and uh, it's sort of chilling you know yeah, it's like sure. be- it's beautiful but it's also like yeah, uh, yeah. It's big <laughs> and with the the murderer said uh, uh, my son you have you have killed me and that was his response and I thought that was a beautiful legend yeah, and beautiful. I wrote a tune about that um, I haven't played in a long time I should you're inspiring me to get it back out and start sharing it around <laughs> I'd like to hear it. yeah well I'll let you know when I remember the words <laughs> it exists somewhere in the ether of the internet yeah <laughs> some blog somewhere uh, what do you want to play next I I've already forgotten. We had another D tune that we were going to play, correct? Yes, we were going to do um, um, uh, "Wild Goose Crossing the Ocean." Yes, and this is, refers to the um, to the uh, Irish uh, immigrants coming over to the United States. Mm. Where, that's where supposedly the title comes from: mm. "Wild Geese Crossing the Ocean." Wild Goose Crossing the Ocean. It does have that kind of feeling, but. Um, I uh, I I take my time with the piece, and when I uh, it's interesting. <laughs> that I just did a big show, and I uh, there was some, about a thousand people in the audience, and I said, um, "Any anybody's here whose uh, parents are immigrants from the last 300, 300 years?" <laughs> uh. <laughs> a lot. There were a lot of hands. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
nice. Really nice. That's a sweet, sweet, sweet tune. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah, the banjo, you know, has good quality. It has really a nice, relaxed quality. And I, I think I really, you know, having played bluegrass, where I still play intensely for sure. But uh, there's times when you just want to be sitting on the porch and just playing, just letting it roll along. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very special quality of the, the instrument. Certainly. It's a very interesting instrument. I was once on tour in, uh, with a moving folk festival in, in um, Mexico, in Tierra Caliente. We started actually in, uh, in uh, Mexico City. And <clears throat> I was with uh, Alan Jabor, and he was playing fiddle. Well, Alan's the star, you know, and I was, I was kind of the mm -hmm. banjo player. But it was very interesting when I was there that every place we played, they were more interested in the banjo than they were the fiddle. Mm. Because all those musicians love all yes. that, yes. that hand techniques. Yes. And they just couldn't get over a vellum's uh, yeah. uh, head, you know. It was really interesting. Now, you um, you have such colorful nylon strings. They're, <laughs> they're red and black and white and blue and really fun to look at. Aren't, didn't you say once to me that those are from South America or Mexico or somewhere? No, I buy, buy them from the Guadalupe String Court Company and they, oh. um, they have, uh, they have in, in the past always had a whole wide variety of colors. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's a thing. It's fun, yeah, yeah I like really, it. It's a yeah. kind of a, it's a cool. thing, you know. Um, and uh, I've had red and blue and I've had, even had a psychedelic said at one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really I'd love fun. to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that nylon string sound. Well, real, I, I real really, it's, it, what I like about the nylon is that the banjo, most banjo players have a rag inside their mm -hmm. banjo to kill, kill the overtones. Sure. Because otherwise they, they bleed so much that it just becomes dissonant. So what, that's why I, I like the nylon string for one thing is that the notes come out and then they, they quit. So they come out just as brilliantly, but they disappear. So sure. silence becomes a, a strong element of the yes, playing. Yes, yes. And they're expressive as well. So, And, yeah. of course, they're really nice on your fingers and your nails. They don't beat you up. Hey, can you tell me about uh, your transition from... Uh, yeah, tell me more about your transition from bluegrass to old time. Like, how exactly... Where were you when that, when that happened? Let's see. I was probably... You mentioned that you were playing bluegrass, but I don't know exactly when did it happen and how. Well, I was uh, born in the in the Northeast, but then I discovered the banjo when I was 14 and, and started playing. Yeah. Went from folk music to bluegrass, and so I played bluegrass in the latter teenage years. When I finished high school, I uh, <clears throat> wanted to. My parents wanted me to go to college, and so. I said, well, if I'm going to go, I want to go to the South so I can be in the source of it. Yes. Um, and uh, so I, I went down to Georgia and I lived there. And then and I played bluegrass and I played for a very, very good mandolin player named Gene Akers, who was down there, who played Ira Lewin's mandolin. I played the banjo in his band. I played that. And then when I moved up to North Carolina, I met Alan Jabor and he introduced me to old-timey music. Well, when the group... Um, Tommy played the banjo. He's kind of the alpha male, so I, <laughs> I and I was fine with me because uh, I had played mandolin already, and uh, uh, I also studied in college. I studied classical guitar and flamenco guitar. Yeah. And that's why I have all this right hand technique. Yeah, I hear that. You know, I have a lot of right hand techniques. Um, and it makes sense also with that with that nylon. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. So um, anyway, so so I didn't play the banjo much during that time, except in closet. Closet mm -hmm. banjo, but I was still, and so, um, 
So I taught myself claw hammer, but I, uh, to me, it, it was neither claw nor a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, more a series of uh, f- finger extensions and um, yeah. and uh, and freedom in motion. Yes. And uh, you know, there's two ways to to play a string instrument. There's the European way where you pick up. There's the African way where you pick down. Yes. And so um, uh, I'm sorry, but I just really like the African Sky way. Sky pick down. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. today I can't roll. I play like if I play in bluegrass style, but I play with down yeah. instead of up. And uh, so it's more percussive, and but I still use all the neck techniques that are necessary. Yeah. So. Now I, I generally like to divert a little bit from old time, you know, in uh, in the discussion because you you play like a Latin instrument. It's like a keyboard instrument, right? But I, I've never heard of it. What is it called? I play the bandonian. The bandonian. And, uh, it's a very, I play the concertina. I played the concertina for many years, and I've written several books on how to play it, and I've recorded. Um, a uh, number of things, including a, a, an album with Peter Strushko that uh, was uh, had a Grammy nomination, uh, called "The First Generation" on vinyl. And um, and then, but then, in the in the late in the 80s, I kind of was floundering for a different art uh, medium. I played clez for a while. I played chortos for a while, and then I. Was discovered uh, music of Astor Piazzolla, and I just flipped out of it. He's an Argentine bandoneon player. Bandoneon is a uh, people think of it as an accordion, but it's uh, it's really a pump organ. It's mm. a harmonium. Mm. It was invented by Bond Heinrich Bond, so it's called bandoneum. Like omnium, sure. olim, those were the kind of the suffixes on yeah. on the instruments in the 19th century. A very difficult instrument, extremely difficult. So, and then I from the the modern tango got into the traditional tango, and I, yeah. and uh, and so I have been playing that. I have a quintet called Tango Heart, which I've had since '99, and we play both piazzolla and and, and um, tango. And and I've um, I felt like I hadn't started the instrument so late in my life, which I was very reluctant to do, especially an instrument as difficult as that. Yeah, it's uh, um, I um, I felt that I. I had, didn't own it like I other owned the other instruments, sure. and so in 2005 I took my daughter who was in seventh grade and my wife and we moved down to Buenos Aires. Wow! And I enrolled in the conservatory and and I spent a year there. When then we came back, but I have continued to go back and study uh, five months a year in the conservatory, studying wow. bandoneon theory and composition. And, Wonderful! And, uh, and so that's been a major interest. Huh? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Before we get into this last tune, can you just tell us like where to find your, where to buy your CDs or records or things like that? Um, yeah, um, you can go to my website. But you, elderly uh, has a uh, number of reissues of things, including okay. the the '67 uh, Hollow Rock record, which continues to be uh, uh, a very popular one. And my old gut feeling. Some of the things, uh, some of the things, never got reproduced in hmm. vinyl anymore, and and then there are uh, 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 some later old time music things uh, starting in this decade. Three of them from with um, with Alan Jabora first, and uh, then the second uh, two uh, with Kirk Sutphin. The last, which is I think the most interesting, is Two Peas in a Pod. Yeah, I listen to that one. It's great. Yeah, it's it. really it's, uh, it uses a lot of my concepts of dissonance and and uh, uh-huh. and um, uh, 
things that I've studied from the concert conservatory, and, yeah. but using Round Peak. Um, yes. And yeah. uh, playing with Kirk Sutphin, who's a terrific player. And Eddie Bond is singing on that. So that's it. But, you know, I'm 75. I'm kind of at the end of my career. So I, I don't have like a fancy thing anymore. Uh, or, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, but people can get it through elderly or. Wonderful. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll include the information on how to get that. Yeah. BertramLeave.com. BertramLeave.com. Let me uh, get into G major real quick. Four-bladed okay. Barlow. Tell us about okay. this. <clears throat> well, Barlow knife is uh, really kind of a real uh, mainstay of uh, the uh, banjo repertoire. Uh, so often the, it's a three-parted tune, um, and uh, uh, a Barlow knife, of course, as you know, is, uh, was a knife you could buy in most general stores. They were usually on a cardboard uh, uh, display in rubber bands, so you pulled one off and. Um, and um, but it was three parts, and I had to play for a dance, and so I needed a fourth part. So I made a fourth part uh, and called it the uh, four-bladed Barlow. And um, the fourth part is really a musical inversion of the, yes. the third part. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a joke. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks so much sure for being on the show. Bertrand. Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. I, I really admire what you're doing and the way you play too. Thanks, yeah. man. Let me hear you.
including that as the, as the When I first met Bertram, my wife, Rebecca, was pregnant with our now two-year-old son, Theodore. But at the time, we didn't know the sex, and I was thinking a lot about what it would be like to have a daughter. Bertram told me something that I think about a lot. He said, there's nothing like the love affair between father and daughter. Nothing like it. He went on to just gush about his daughter, how smart she is, how great a fiddler she is, etc., etc. I think it was a really formative moment for me to see a dad barely able to contain his overwhelming admiration and respect for his child. I would like to feel that someday. All that's to say, Bertram's about to go on tour with his daughter, Madeline, and I'd like to read you the times and locations real quick. All the dates are in February and in the UK, in case I have any listeners out there. On the 9th is the Essex Concertina Class. The 10th, 11th, and 12th is the Gainsborough Festival. Valentine's Day, they're playing the Triple Crown in Richmond, southwest London. The 16th at the Islington Folk Club in central London. The 17th at the London Irish Centre. The 18th at uh, Towersy, Oxfordshire. And on the 19th is a house concert in Richmond. I also recommend going to BertramLevy.com to see additional tour dates, uh, check out all his projects, and buy his CDs. If you want to support Get Up In The Cool, go to CameronDeWitt.com and click or tap the button that says Patreon, or follow the link in this episode's description on your podcatching app. For this week's bonus track, Bertram and I play the Oscar Wright version of Shady Grove, and it might be my favorite thing that we play. If your FOMO is kicking in, Sign up right now. You'll also get to hear the bonus track Backlogs if you want to hear Bach Bowie and I play Farewell Tryon, Jake Blunt and I play Pork Fat Makes My Chicken Tan, <laughs> Adam Hurt and I play Piney Woods Gal, and uh, Jane Rothfield and I play her version of Walk Like an Egyptian. <laughs> Good stuff is what I'm trying to say. If you know anybody who would like the show, please share it. You can do it right from your app. I know there's thousands of old-time musicians out there who don't know this exists and would be listening if someone shared it with them. And there's probably thousands more musicians from other traditions and non-musicians who would like the show too. It only takes a moment, but it might become someone's favorite new podcast. Thanks for listening, friends. I'll see you same time next week for more Get Up in the Cool.